Welcome to Heirloom Radio, a different kind of oldest program. My name is John Levering, and I am your superstitious host for this track featuring two episodes of a program entitled The Origin of Superstition. Why do people avoid stepping on a crack on a sidewalk or choose not to walk under a ladder? How about getting nervous if a black cat passes in front of you? Do you know anyone who has ever tossed some salt over their shoulder or got nervous about seven years of bad luck for breaking a mirror? Well, the origin of Superstition Radio Show had the answer for you. Also known as Superstitions on the Air, the origin of Superstition was a 1935 series of short stories that showcased many of the more popular superstitions of modern life. These were dramatizations that took the listener back in time to explain when, where, and how and why superstitions originated. To its credits, the answers given in the show result from meticulous research. The episodes present only the facts about the origin of the superstition. Nothing is added or removed from the research. The only fiction in the show was the names, which had been changed for purposes of discretion. Superstitions are often ridiculed until a coincidence or some quirk makes us wonder if fate guides our destinies after all. Carrying a rabbit's foot, knocking on wood, opening an umbrella indoors, you may hear superstitions that you yourself observe and come to understand their origins. The origin of superstitions was produced and syndicated by Transco, the same company that produced the children's radio program known as The Cinnamon Bear. The show featured actors Verna Felton, Hanley Stafford, Gail Gordon, Howard McNear, Barbara Jean Wong, all of whom also performed on the Cinnamon Bear radio show, which was recorded in the same Transco studio in 1937. The narrator of The Origin of Superstitions is Lindsay McCary, who was the director of the Cinnamon Bear program. So, dear listener, find that rabbit's foot and let's listen to the origins of two superstitions, kissing under the mistletoe and opening of an umbrella indoors. This is Heirloom Radio. My name is John Lovering. Thank you for listening. Superstition on the air. Ladies and gentlemen, it is our pleasure to offer you another short, short story in the series designed to disclose the origin of superstitions. This one, popular with the fairer sex, deals with the belief that if a girl is kissed under the mistletoe, she will be married within a year. Oh, hello, Ruth. What a splendid place to find you, right under the mistletoe. Ah, I claim my kiss. Oh, good heavens, Roger. I didn't see that mistletoe. Oh, why did you kiss me? Now I'll be married within a year, and I don't want to be. Don't want to be? Why, of course you do, Ruth. With a fine fellow like Jerry for a fiance, you don't mean to tell me. But not so soon, Roger. I made Jerry promise he'd wait two years before we were married, until I had a chance to get started on my career. 
Now you kissed me under that mistletoe and spoiled everything. Ruth, you don't mean to tell me you really believe in that old superstition? Well, I surely do. After all, it's a belief that even my grandmother had. A girl who is kissed under the mistletoe will be married within a year. But Ruth, that superstition started through ignorance. And not in your grandmother's day, but thousands of years ago. In fact, it was in ancient Babylonia that that superstition originated because of the remarkable experience of the daughter of a nobleman in that country. You mean they used the mistletoe in those days, Roger? Exactly, Ruth. You see, among ancient people, the mistletoe was regarded as sacred because it grew upon branches of trees and was not rooted in the ground. Consequently, they believed it was a divine plant fallen from heaven that possessed magical powers to protect them from evil. Mm, quite a beautiful idea, but very fantastic, wasn't it? Yes, but to get to the connection of the mistletoe with the kiss, we must go back into the days of pagan worship of the goddess of love. In Babylonia, this goddess was known as Melita, whom every girl was called upon to serve once in her life by going to her temple and taking a place beneath the sacred mistletoe, where she was obliged to accept the caress of any stranger who uttered the words, I invoke the goddess Melita, and he gave the girl a coin. What a strange custom that was. Well, so it seems to us. But to the people of that time, the sacrifice of one's honor in worship to a god or a goddess was considered the highest form of nobility. Well, I'm glad I didn't live in those days, Roger. I should say. But to get to the story... About uh, a thousand years before the Christ, there lived in the city of Babylon a nobleman who had two daughters. Zelia, his firstborn, was a beautiful girl. But her half-sister, Shepha by name, was quite plain and of a very jealous disposition. Zelia had been promised in marriage to a handsome young prince with whom Shepha, her half-sister, was secretly in love. Was the young prince in love with Shepha? No, he was madly in love with Zelia, for she was as gentle-natured as she was beautiful. Shepa, however, felt that if it had not been for her half-sister, she herself would have been betrothed to the young prince. As the time was drawing near for the beautiful Zalia to make her sacrifice in the temple of Melita, Shepa, who realized that soon after the ceremony her half-sister's marriage would be consummated, decided to put her out of the way. Why, the horrid creature! Yes. Nevertheless, Shepa secured the aid of Esau, a leader of a low class of traders who traveled from country to country selling their stolen goods. On the morning of the day that Zelia was to go to the temple of Melita, Shepa had sent for Isa. They were secretly planning her half-sister's abduction, and... Isa, we must complete our business quickly, for already my sister Zalia doth prepare herself to go to the temple. Yea, mistress. Then listen. This is what you must do. I will accompany my sister to the temple of Melita, and after she hath fulfilled her duty, we will return home by the lonely path that edges the city, where your men can wait to seize her when we pass. Yea, mistress, but why do you desire me to steal your sister? With Zalia out of the way, my father will pledge me to her betrothed, the young prince whom I love dearly. Now do you understand, Lisa? Yea, but the heart of a woman is changeable. How can I be sure thou wilt not repent and betray me, mistress? A woman who loves will do anything to attain her heart's desire, Isar. Do not fear that I will betray thee. You can trust me. I must be sure of that. For I come every year to the city to trade, 
and I cannot risk discovery of such a deed. You have nothing to fear from me, Isa, but here, take this little chest. It is filled with silver, and when you sell my sister, you will get a goodly sum for her, for she is beautiful. Jaffa! Yes, Alia, I come. Look, Isa, peer through this lattice. There on the balcony, you can see for yourself how beautiful she is. She is fair as the young silver moon. I know a king who will give much treasure for her. Then you will do this for me, Isa? Yea, mistress. Good. But you must go now. Hurry. Cut through the gate in the garden. Be careful that none may see thee. Yea. And remember, mistress, should you betray me, I will kill thee. Farewell. Shepherd, Shepherd, are you coming? We must go to the temple. Oh, yes, Zaria, I am ready. Come then, we must go, Shepherd. How I tremble at the thought of this ordeal. Oh, do not feel that way, Zaria. Remember, it is the command of Melita. Yea, our beloved goddess must be served. But how stifling it is in these streets today. You are right, Zaria. The air is very heavy. Shepherd, you walk too fast. Tires me to keep up with you. Forgive me, gracious sister. I'm sorry. How pale thou art today. But truly thou dost look more beautiful than I have ever seen thee. Ah, here is the temple. Now I must go on alone, Shepherd. Wait in the other part of the temple until I fulfill my duty. Fare thee well, dear sister. I will wait, Zalia. Farewell. Shepherd, at last my sacrifice is completed. Come, let us get away from here. Yea, Zaria, but let us return by the little path that edges the city, so that thou wilt not be molested by the staring eyes of the people. Thou art thoughtful, dear sister, and I am grateful. Isn't it beautiful along this lonely path, Zaria? Yes, Shepherd, and do not the palms look stately? Outlined against the sky. True, Zaria. And the air is less sultry here. It is much cooler, is it not? Well, I do feel as though... <gasps> oh! Quick, men, before someone doth see us. Shanna, bind the maiden. Cover her with a robe and take her upon thy horse. Help him, Turgu, while I attend to the other sister. What are you going to do, Isa? Let me go! I am going to kill you so that you will not betray me. Ah! <gasps> oh! Ah, she's dead. To your horses, men, quick. Shanna, keep to the center of our group and ride so as not to arouse suspicion. Turgo, you ride beside me. Let us go, men. When we reach the open plain, Isa, we must ride as fast as we can to our camp. Yea, Turgo. And then we must break camp quickly so that we can get out of this country as soon as possible. Ah, here's the plain. Let us make haste. Faster, men. What will you do with this maiden, Isa? I know a king who would give much treasure for such a beauty, Turgu. <laughs> Sometimes I think kings are very fortunate, Isa. Ah, at last, here is the camp. Tis well. Shanna, give the maiden to Turgu. Then go tell the men to break camp, 
so that we may leave this place immediately. Hey, master. Leave the girl bound, Tergu. But I fear this binding will cut her mouth, Isa. You are right. We must not spoil her beauty. And it will do her no good to cry out in this desolate place. Remove the binding. Yes, Isa. There, maiden. Does that feel better now? <laughs> ah, you'd best rest, Zalia. You have a long journey ahead of you. What are you going to do with me? I shall sell you to a king. Nay, I beg of thee, return me to my people. They will give you... Nay, I know, a cold blade in my back, mistress. Ah, nay. Ah, gracious Melita, I implore thee to save me. Did I not make my sacrifice to thee beneath thy sacred pan? <laughs> Tegu, she thinks her prayers will save her. What has happened? Master! 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 The wrath of the gods is upon us. Three of the horses have been killed, and the tent with the fine silks and wools is a mass of flame. Oh, beloved goddess, do not forsake Isha, me. tis this maiden. She must be under the protection of the goddess. It will not be safe to keep her with us. You are right, Tergu. You're accursed. Shanna, take this maiden to the road that leads into the city. Hey, master. Perhaps it will still the wrath of the goddess Melissa that has fallen upon us. Send this maiden back to her people. Away with her. Away. Away. And so Zalia was restored to her family, and her marriage to the young prince followed soon after. When the people learned of her miraculous deliverance, they rejoiced and gave thanks to the goddess, for they believed that it had been her intervention that had saved Zalia. So they came to the conclusion that any maiden who had stood beneath the mistletoe was protected by the goddess and rewarded with a husband within a year. You see how ridiculous that superstition is, Ruth? Why, it's nothing of the sort. After all, she had been under that mistletoe and was married within a year, Roger. Yes, I know, but don't you see, Ruth? Regardless of that, she would have been married within a year anyway because her parents had already betrothed her to the young prince. Mm, but what about her kidnapping, Roger? The mistletoe protected her then, didn't it? Don't tell me you didn't get that point, Ruth. If that electrical storm had not arisen at that time, which to the imaginative minds of those people was a sign of divine wrath, the girl would never have been released. Mm, well, yes... That's true, but I Ruth, don't... Ruth! Why, Jerry! Oh, I thought you'd never get I'm here. I'm sorry, Ruth. I was detained. I just got a telegram that I'm to leave for South America as soon as possible, to be gone for five years. Well, dear, that means we'll have to get married right away. Oh, why, Jerry, you promised you'd wait two years. Yes, I know, Ruth, but I didn't expect to go to South America then. After all, darling, you're not going to let your career keep us apart for five years. Oh, no, but... Oh, now there, Roger. You see, it's all on account of that mistletoe. <laughs> and so Ruth went to South America with Jerry, firmly convinced that if she had not been kissed under the mistletoe, she would have been starting on a career instead of a honeymoon. Well, au revoir and good luck to you.
Oh, how times have changed, and so has commercial advertising. Here is a recreation of an actual ad either heard on radio or published in magazines during the golden age of radio. Are you suffering from toothaches? Do you fear the dentist? Can you afford the cost of a dental visit? Well, the Lloyd Manufacturing Company of Albany, New York has a solution to your toothache problems that does not require a dental visit or cost you much money. Yes, our instant cure for a toothache is our cocaine toothache drops. Yes, the cure is instantaneous. <laughs> The price? Only 15 cents for sale by all druggists. Superstition on the air. It is our pleasure to offer you another short, short story in the series designed to disclose the origins of superstition. This one deals with the belief that if you open an umbrella in the house, it's an omen of bad luck. Scott, Nancy, it's raining cats and dogs. I can't go out in this weather. Why, I'll be soaked through before I get to the streetcar. Well, why don't you use that old umbrella, Gordon? It'll help some. Yeah, that's an idea. Where is it? In the closet, dear. Oh, here it is. Let's keep it still in good shape. Don't, Gordon. Don't. Don't what? Oh, Gordon, you've opened that umbrella in the house. Now something awful is sure to happen. Oh, don't be silly, darling. Well, we haven't used this umbrella in such a long time. I just opened it to see if it was still whole. Oh, but dear, don't you know that it's bad luck to open an umbrella in a house? Oh, bosh, Nancy. That's silly. Oh, no, it isn't silly, Gordon. I know a number of people who've opened umbrellas in their houses and have had bad luck. <laughs> Imagine anybody having bad luck from opening an umbrella in the house. Why, that's superstition. Oh, it is, is it? 
Well, let me tell you, Smarty, that centuries ago, in the city of Rome, a tragedy that actually occurred there was responsible for starting this very belief. But do you know how the umbrella was regarded by ancient peoples? No, I didn't even know they had umbrellas in those ancient days. They surely did. Why, they were used in China about 2,000 years before the Christ, as well as in India and other Oriental countries. You see, the word umbrella is based on the Latin umbra, which means shade. And literally, umbrella means a shade from the sun or fire. So umbrella or parasol was really the same thing in the early days. Hey, how do you know all this? Well, when my brother got hurt in that automobile accident, right after he had opened an umbrella in the house, I looked this data up. Anyway, the sunshade was first used only by sultans and princes as an emblem of royalty. And with the Persian monarchs, it also symbolized the power of life and death. So the custom of using the umbrella was introduced to the Greeks and Romans from the Orient. Hmm, that's interesting. But uh, what about that tragedy you spoke of that was responsible for starting this belief? How did that happen? Well, in about the year 84 B.C., there lived in Rome Drusilla, the beautiful wife of a Roman officer, uh, Julius by name. While Julius was serving with the Roman legions at the Asiatic front, Drusilla had become infatuated with Livius, a young Roman noble. As our story opens, Paulus, a dear friend of Julius, has just arrived at his tent from Rome with the news of Drusilla's infidelity and... Uh, Ah, Paulus, you have returned at last. And how did you find things in Rome? My business was successful, Julius, and they are pleased in Rome with the progress our army has made here. Splendid. And now, what news have you of my wife, Drusilla? Is she well? She... she is well, Julius. Yes? And what else? Hath she sent me no message, Paulus? She did ask me to convey to you her respects and homage. Come, come, man, tell me more. Verily, thy tongue is an unwilling one today. Do you not realize that I have not seen my wife for almost four years? I hunger for news of her. Tell me, is she still as beautiful? Yea, Julius. Beautiful as the siren Circe, and... And what? Why do you halt so in your speech, Paulus? Why does your voice sound so bitter? Hath Drusilla offended you that you do not wish to speak of her? Julius, you know how dearly I love thee. You are my most esteemed friend, and I cannot bear to have your name degraded. My name degraded? What do you mean? Speak, Paulus. Forgive me, Julius. But I must tell you the truth. Your wife, Drusilla, is to blame by her shameful intrigue with Livius. And all Rome knows of it. What? Why, you dog? I'll kill you. You lie. You lie. Nay, Julius. I speak the truth. My wife would not be party to such infamy. I tell you, you lie. But, But I did come upon them myself in closest embrace. I saw them with my own eyes. You did see them, Paulus? Yea, Julius, and I have told you this because I cannot bear to see you disgraced in the eyes of your countrymen. I shall go to Rome at once and find out for myself if this accusation is true. If you have lied, Paulus, beware, for I shall kill you. And if what you have said is true, I shall kill them. (laughs) 
Mistress Drusilla, which robe will you wear this afternoon? The violet one, Julia, for I must look my loveliest when Livius comes to me today. I must dazzle him. Oh, Mistress, you have done that already. He worships you. But do you never fear that Julius, your husband, will return unexpectedly someday and find you with Livius? Nay, Julia. He is too busy with his wars. For verily, he doth love war more than he does me. But, Mistress, you know the passionate temper of your husband. He would kill you if he found out. Yea, you are right. For Julius is violent when enraged. But Livius would protect me, Julia, for he adores me. And why not? Verily, you are the most beautiful woman in all Rome. <laughs> oh, Julia, thou hast the honeyed tongue of a flatterer. <sighs> oh, but tis hot today. The air seems stifling, does it not? Yea, mistress, the air is indeed sultry. It seems to have turned so quite suddenly. But make haste, Julia. The hour approaches for my meeting with Livius, and I want to be awaiting him in the garden when he comes. My robe, Julia. Here, mistress. Oh, but be careful, for I do not wish to disarrange your hair. Ah, there it is on. How ravishing you look. Now, my umbrella, Julia. Here, mistress. Nay, stupid. Not this white one. Give me the violet one with the pearls embroidered at the edge of it. Very well, mistress. Here it is. Now then, Julia, stand away from me and hold up this mirror while I open my umbrella so that I may see how it becomes me. Yea, mistress. Is this all right? Ah. Ah, yes. This color is beautiful against my white skin. Is it not? Why, why, what is that, Julia? I do not know, mistress. Why, the floor is swaying beneath me. Look out, mistress! Ah! The wall is cracking! It's falling! Drusilla! Drusilla! Uh, Julia, where's your mistress? Alas, Master Julius, you were too late. She lies buried beneath that crumbled wall. Oh, why have the gods done this terrible thing to her? Yea, verily, I cannot understand it. What could she have done to have aroused their wrath? Oh, she did nothing, Master. She did but open her umbrella, and the wall fell upon her. Truly, Julia, by opening her umbrella in the house, she provoked the anger of the gods. Tis an omen. Oh. Oh. And so, you see, Drusilla died as a result of opening her umbrella indoors. Now maybe you won't be so quick to say it's all superstition. Oh, Nancy, you don't mean to tell me that you believe she was killed on account of opening an umbrella. Don't you see that whether she had done so or not, that earthquake would have occurred just the same? And if she hadn't been killed by that, well, her husband would have killed her anyway. Well, then... If the wall hadn't crumbled and her husband had killed her, it still proves that by opening the umbrella, she would have had bad luck. Oh, of all the absurd arguments. Don't you see that her husband wouldn't have killed her because she opened the umbrella indoors, but because his wife had been unfaithful to him? So you took up all this time with such nonsense. I've got to get started or I'll be late. Well, do be careful, Gordon. Oh, don't worry. Nothing's going to happen to me. Goodbye, dear. Oh, ah! Oh, what happened, Gordon? What happened? 
I just tripped over that confounded umbrella and fell down a whole flight of stairs. That's what happened. Oh, there. Now, didn't I tell you you'd have bad luck from opening that umbrella in the house? Oh, go sit on a tack. And so when Gordon fell down the stairs, Nancy was convinced beyond all doubt that by opening an umbrella in the house, you can't escape bad luck. Well, au revoir and good luck to you. Thank you.